a battle going on today for the heart and soul of America, and the right side must win. It's time for America Can We Talk with Debbie George Addis. On America Can We Talk, we talk truth about America and why it matters to you. America Can We Talk starts now. Good evening, my friends. Welcome. Welcome to my show. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. So much for, thanks so much for tuning into my show and to tonight's First Five. Well, I always hate to have to start shows like this just commenting on another tragedy, but I, I actually have some really, I think, helpful, thoughtful, serious points to make relating to what happened in Florida in the uh, school shooting last week at Stoneman Douglas High School in uh, Parkland, Florida. And the shooter was a young man, Nicholas Cruz. Predictably, as soon as this school shooting, which took 17 lives, it was a truly horrific thing. And honestly, everyone in America, your heart goes out to the victims, the entire school community, their families, everyone who loved these people and, and, and knew these people. And I know that you saw a lot of posts on Facebook and commentary and by pundits and on the news saying, you know, I'm tired of hearing about thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. You know, I want action. I want something more than just thoughts and prayers because we've had way too many of these school shootings. And we have. We've had way too many of them. And the left predictably is going toward gun control and immediate proposals, not just for various gun control measures, but with the the typical leftist determination to try to characterize Republicans, uh, President Trump, NRA, the NRA members as the cause of this problem and to characterize them and just through words and, and innuendo, try to portray the notion that, you know, only the American left cares, that that people uh, on the other side just don't care at all. And if they did, they would do these gun control measures that we've been pushing. And I am not here to argue that there never needs to be any more gun change, uh, changes to any gun laws in America for the rest of time. But I want to talk about the deeper reasons this happens, because it's always easy, as the left always does. It goes toward the simple Surrender your freedom. Give us more control over your lives solution instead of dealing with the reality, the substance, the depth of what actually occurred and also the um, dealing with solving those underlying problems which are serious, which are substantive and which are far more challenging than simply dealing with um, adding gun control legislation. But first I want to read you something. There is, And these are all posted. Every link we talk about tonight is posted at americacanwetalk.org. There's a woman named Kelly Guthrie Raley. She was named uh, in Florida the Eustis Middle School Teacher of the Year in 2017 and 2018. She just got that commendation last month. And she posted what has become now a viral thing on Facebook. I'm going to read what she posted because this is a springboard to talk about. If we really care as a society about solving violence, we need to deal with the real issues, not the left wing. Can't we just take away all your guns and control you? But here is her, her remarks, and she's taken some flack and some praise for writing this. She says, until we as a country are willing to get serious and talk about mental health issues— Lack of available care for the mental health issues, lack of discipline in the home, horrendous lack of parental support when the schools are trying to control horrible behavior at school. Then she has parenthesis, oh no, not my kid. What did you do to cause my kid to react that way? 
close parenthesis, lack of moral values, and yes, I'll say it, violent video games that take away all sensibility to any compassion for others' lives, as well as reality TV that makes it commonplace for people to constantly scream up in each other's faces and not value any other person but themselves. We have a gun problem in school, the sixth grade language arts teacher wrote. So this woman is saying things, I'm telling you folks, that I'm going to tell you 90% of America is thinking, which is all these gun problems, these, shoot, these shootings in schools, horrific, horrible as they are, just and we must be committed as a society to fight them. They are, they are coming from not just the existence of guns, the presence of guns, but as many writers have written, as we'll talk about more after the break, it's coming from a larger and deeper problem that if we actually want to solve these issues and prevent them, we have to deal with the deeper issues. One is the breakup of the nuclear family, fatherlessness in spades. And I'll tell you some more statistics about that after the break. The spread of porn and violence and entertainment, violent video games, she mentioned, the proliferation of drugs. She talked about mental health issues, the proliferation of very dangerous drugs. And I'll give you statistics when we come back about what of the kids who engage in this hor- horrific kind of behavior how many of them were, were taking uh, psychopath, psychotropic drugs, um, abortion, and from but that I mean the dehumanization of American life, of human life, the notion we can just um, we can just willy nilly decide to end human life and in, in the millions and millions, and nothing else is going to go awry in our society. And on the fatherlessness thing, the, the tying of fatherlessness to a sense, and on the, okay, I'll get back to fatherlessness in a minute. There's also the destruction of the Christian basis of our society, the Judeo-Christian values of our society, the mocking of religion as important, the mocking of family units, a, a, an intact family unit as being the primary unit to raise a child, the, and the notion that what results from that is young people without a sense of purpose— without a sense of personal value of themselves, of direction, of the problems of loneliness and hopelessness. These are the deeper problems. If we actually care and want to prevent problems like this, that we have to address. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. Lots more on this when we come back. Don't go away. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. America guarantees each eligible adult citizen the right to vote. 
The Public Interest Legal Foundation, a 501c3 public interest law firm, is dedicated entirely to election integrity, to assuring that voter rolls include names of only citizens eligible to vote, and that protections are in place to prevent voter fraud of all kinds. The Public Interest Legal Foundation discovered that more than 1,000 non-citizens enrolled to vote in Virginia in just eight counties, and in Philadelphia, felons as well as non-citizens are on the voter rolls. Non-citizens have been registering to vote and voting. The Public Interest Legal Foundation is fighting nationwide and in Texas to ensure that only Americans pick American leaders. We are actively litigating high-impact cases to clean up voter rolls and protect the ballot box. If you do not want your vote canceled out, visit publicinterestlegal.org to join us in the fight to restore integrity to American elections. Protect your vote. Visit publicinterestlegal.org today. Do you know that one in nearly five United States residents lives in an immigrant household? That we take in more than one million new legal immigrants every year? Studying the impact of federal immigration program is the mission of the Center for Immigration Studies, the nation's only think tank looking at the broad national effect of immigration policy. Whether it's on crime, welfare, national security, or the job market, CIS digs out information about immigration from government sources, translates it into English, and makes it available to the public, the news media, and policymakers in Washington. Check out its work at CIS.org. CIS makes the case for better enforcement against illegal immigration and lower levels of legal immigration in the future. Most other special interest groups pursue the opposite. The only thing standing between them and open borders is an informed public. Get informed and stay informed by visiting CIS.org. That's CIS.org. Let me tell you about the group Vice President Mike Pence called the most effective grassroots pro-life organization in America. It's the Susan B. Anthony List, and they're the ones who are on Capitol Hill right now, day in, day out, to fight back against Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry. Every day in our nation, abortion takes more than 2,000 innocent lives, almost two every single minute of every single day. And Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion business in the country, committing one-third of all abortions. It's an unspeakable tragedy and a stain upon our nation and our humanity. And it's up to us to do something about it. This is your opportunity to join the team that's leading the charge to end abortion. Go to sba-list.org or Google Susan B. Anthony List now to learn more and start saving lives today. And welcome back to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. You know, I know everyone who heard the story of the school shooting last week, and this is the first show I've had, of course, because uh, my show is Sunday evening, 6 to 8 p.m., the first show we've had since that incident occurred. And it, truly, to be very clear, it's impossibly heartbreaking. Every single one of these school shootings is an impossibly heartbreaking thing. And I have dear friends who've, you know, are just aren't particularly interested in politics and they're not in, they are not aware of the second amendment's uh, importance in America and they don't personally have guns. And I, I know their reaction as much as what I'm describing. I say the American left, it's a lot of people in America just the, the basic thing they're saying is just do something, government, make this stop. And I understand that. But I, what I want to really hone in on and spend another segment talking about is 
that we all kind of own this. I don't mean that we all should have pressured government to outlaw um, AK-5s or whatever, uh, outlaw certain kinds of guns, outlaw certain kinds of, uh, you know, weaponry. I'm not even expressing any opinion on that because I'm not a big gun person, but I'm a really, really big Second Amendment person. But I want to talk a little more about getting below the surface and stop talking just about can't we take guns away? Because just like when we thought we'd be smart and take alcohol away and had the prohibition, we all saw what happened. Alcohol continued to be available. It was uh, produced and sold illegally. It was transported all over the place to be sold. I mean, you, you couldn't outlaw it. And guns are even more that way. But I want to talk about some things that really, as all of a society, I'm saying why we all own this, which is a combination of many things. We've had more young men, especially, growing up in fatherless homes in this country since the time of the the Great Society, the establishment of the um, just massive government assistance programs growing, growing, growing. And I know in my book, my book is called Ladies Can We Talk, I put those statistics in there and you can find them online. The growth of single parent homes in which young men grew up, not just that their home was no dad around, but everyone they knew had no dad around. Those homes not having the nurturing and presence of a father and mother, uh, teaching, guiding, and especially a father, role modeling for young men, has had a profound and devastating consequence in our society. It is not just a minor point. I will tell you just uh, one quick example. Um, except I'm not going to find it quickly, but there was, oh, here, yeah, okay, 72% of adolescent murderers, okay, of everyone, of young men who've killed, uh, as and they were adolescents, 72% grew up, grew up without fathers. The same is true of adolescent rapists, 60% grew up without fathers. Of all of the juveniles who were actually incarcerated in state institutions, 70% grew up in single or no parent situations. So we as a society have invested in a, a set of programs in Washington that simply dissolved the nuclear family unit. And many, many, many sociologists, psychologists, pundits have pointed this out, but we don't move to fix it because that's the harder message. The harder message is about the importance of keeping families together, of having national policy, federal policy of every kind designed to nurture and uh, help families, or put the opposite way, don't have policies in place that simply dissolve the families. And folks, I know there are a lot of single mothers for whom it's just not their fault they're single mothers. My own brother passed away. His wife, my sister-in-law, had to raise their son because my brother was gone. There are many innocent circumstances which, you know, or divorces that simply had to happen. I'm not getting, I'm not criticizing single moms, but I'm saying that in we have as a society normalized and legitimized the notion that you can kind of live off of government. And so low-income areas, when there's no father around and people are dependent on welfare and they have through, because of that system, become high concentrations of single-parent homes, you're going to have more difficulties for the child. So we have, as a society, kind of agreed to that. We haven't stood up. We haven't fought back. We haven't said we have to have our policies in place that encourage the intact family unit. 
Another big uh, factor in all of this has to do with the prescribing of certain kinds of um, meds, certain uh, medications that are psychotropic in nature. And this was a, a, an article now, now um, five years old, written by Jerome Corsi, but... In all the school shootings up until that point, there have been horrific ones there, too. But from 2012, Joan Corsi is quoting, 90% of school shootings over the last decade have been linked to a widely prescribed type of antidepressant called selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, or SSRIs. Now, I am not a psychologist, but I'm telling you that if we can see that connection, we can see that these drugs are not actually helping the young men who are troubled. They are, in fact, they are a significant factor when you try to figure out what do these young people have in common. We have to do something about as a society. We have to insist that our lawmakers do something about it as a society. And, you know, this, this, uh, there was a great article, too, and again, it's up on my, up on my website, americachemitalk.org, but Mark Stein had an interview on Tucker Carlson, but he basically was saying the point, making the point there and in the article that I listed, that we have had guns. We have had rapid-fire guns, semi-automatic guns, uh, since at least the Gatling gun, which if you don't know that name, 1861. These school shootings are not happening because guns are better, because guns are faster. I mean, they are, probably are faster. We've had rapid-fire guns since 1861. The school shootings have been all happening basically in the last 30 years. So we have to ask ourselves as responsible adults in this society, why is that? I think that I mentioned the teacher of the year wrote a Facebook posting saying, in part, it has to do with parental attitudes. They don't want to discipline. In place of discipline, they want to scold the teachers who point out to the parents your child has a behavior problem. It is setting standards at home. It's insisting on discipline at home. So the, the psych medication things that are huge. And then I want to go and just play a clip, too, just to, just to again, uh, point out what the difference is between now when these, these are sadly too common and really over the decades what used to be the case. And, Greg, this is clip two. All depends on the 15-year-old. I can tell you, folks, I carried a gun all my life. I hunted. I, I shot. My friends and I, it's hunting season back home. When I was in high school, every one of those rigs in the high school parking lot had a gun in the gun rack. Why? We went hunting on the way home. None of those guns ever walked into a school. None of those guns ever shot anybody. What's the difference? Did the gun change? Or did you as a society change? Now, I'll give you give you odds that it was you as a society because you started glorifying cultures of violence. You glorified the gang culture. You glorified games that actually give you points for raping and killing people. Gun didn't change. We changed. Okay, that was a sheriff. He was actually from, I think, Oregon or Washington. This was a school shooting in 2017. But the points he's making have been made over and over. People used to have guns in there. In fact, there were, there were articles on the Internet, people talking about, you know, there used to be kids parking in the parking lot, and they all had guns in the back, and they actually ran out to grab the guns when there was some threat at the school. 
Pete, this is not about the gun. And the reason I, I, I want to, we're going to run out of time in this segment, and I have a great guest coming up in the next segment, so I uh, don't want to spill over. I want to turn to her in a moment. But uh, the last things on this case and this issue that are so important, because you're going to be as conservatives, and especially conservative women, you're going to be pummeled by your friends saying, can't you get behind it now? Can't you understand? We've got to regulate guns. got to take the guns away. I'm going to hit a few last points. Taking guns away is contrary to the Second Amendment, and the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution was not put in there so that people could go hunting, and it wasn't even put in there so that we could have, I mean, in part it was to be able to defend yourself in your home or any other time and an assault. It was put there to protect you, but the Second Amendment was put there in this, in the uh, original, in the Constitution, the Second Amendment, to protect individuals, to keep the balance of power square between individuals and the government. And every big government leftist country that represses its citizens starts by gathering up the guns. Castro in Cuba, Ceausescu in Romania, all every every repressive government you can think of. It's a primary goal they have is to to gather the guns, to keep the guns, take them away from the people. So our job in part, is to recognize there's a deeper purpose of this Second Amendment. And we have to just very, very stridently protect against the idea of limiting it. The other avenues of this that need to be explored, and they are being talked about, is what what happened with the FBI. The FBI had a notice of this kid in Florida last September. They'd been to his home 39 times. And so somehow we didn't have within the FBI the backbone, the clarity, the comfort, whatever it was, to seek out this young man, to figure out what's happening, and potentially to intervene before this happened. Much more about the FBI. And speaking of the FBI, we're going to go off to a break. When we come back, we have in studio tonight a fabulous national expert on the FBI, Sidney Powell. She is a former federal prosecutor and a, a premier expert on what's happening inside of the FBI and the Mueller investigation. You don't want to miss it. Talk to you on the other side. Our nation faces a choice, the path of big government based out of Washington or the unique brand of liberty and prosperity enjoyed here in Texas. For 27 years, the Texas Public Policy Foundation has helped leaders in the Lone Star State prove that fiscal restraint and small government can deliver opportunity and prosperity for all. The Texas Public Policy Foundation promotes and defends solutions here and around the country based on liberty, free enterprise, and personal responsibility, whether informed the national debate on property rights, energy, taxes, education, or criminal justice, the foundation works to translate ideas into real change. The Texas Public Policy Foundation does not accept government funds or contributions to influence the outcome of its research. It is supported by thousands of people like you who are concerned about the future of our country. You can help Texas remain strong as the beacon of liberty in America. Visit TexasPolicy.com to learn more. If you want to get at the issues that really matter for women and men, go to IWF.org. That's the Independent Women's Forum. IWF is all about increasing the number of American women who value free markets and personal liberty. IWF's motto is all issues are women's issues. They bring a fact-based approach to politics, policy, and culture. When the left tried to peddle a phony war on women, IWF shot back with facts and figures. 
American women aren't victims in need of ever-increasing government protection. And IWF doesn't think things are perfect, but they believe that individual liberty is the key to prosperity and fulfillment. Along with their sister organization, Independent Women's Voice, IWVoice.org, which is a leader in the fight against Obamacare, they offer policy papers, op-eds, and a popular blog on issues of the day. So visit IWF at IWF.org. That's IWF.org. If there's one thing the conservative movement needs, it's a leader. And we have one, the Heritage Foundation. Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Heritage gets in the trenches on Capitol Hill. They promote principled solutions directly to lawmakers in Washington. And unlike politicians, they don't waver or compromise. But they're not a Washington institution. There are nearly a half million Heritage members and supporters in America. And they're on a mission to grow that number and build the conservative base. You can become a Heritage member by going to joinheritage.org today. I've been a member of Heritage myself for years. I have Heritage experts on my show, and I rely on their analysis to get the facts out. As a member, you'll get updates from Heritage Foundation on the fight for conservative solutions to America's challenges. Plus, you'll receive exclusive invitations to conservative events where you live. So join the growing movement. Find out more at joinheritage.org. That's joinheritage.org. There's a lot of talk today among media, in academia, in our culture, about everything that is supposedly wrong with America. Political correctness tries to dictate that we must stop thinking that America is exceptional. America's bravest have our back in the air, at sea, and on land. But who has America's back in the culture? In schools, on cable television, in newspapers? It's time to end the greatest prejudice on earth, anti-Americanism. And who makes the case for America? Flag does. Flag is the foundation for liberty and American greatness. Flag has America's back on the cultural battlefield. Flag is a nonprofit battle tank working to change the cultural and media narrative about America. If you think it's time to stand up for America, join the Foundation for Liberty and American Greatness. Your support of Flag is an investment in the America your children will inherit. Visit their website at flagusa.org and consider donating. All donations are 100% tax deductible. That's flagusa.org. Welcome back to America Can We Talk. Debbie George Addis and I have here in the studio tonight Sydney Powell, um, who's just a fabulous resource uh, to talk about on a, a very just non-political level, but just a serious expert federal prosecutor level of what is happening inside the FBI and the latest. So of course, we've covered this story over and over on the show, but we're really on to tonight some interesting territory um, with Robert Mueller. So I'll start by saying Sydney Powell, um, she was born in Durham, North Carolina. Uh, she's a graduate of UNC, UNC undergrad and got her JD there. Um, she's the author of License to Lie, which if you're on Facebook Live, you can see right there. There's the book, License to Lie. She's also the youngest uh, U.S. attorney ever appointed um, in her uh, legal career. And beyond being a federal prosecutor, uh, she also has uh, 
a practice where she's in over 500 federal appeals. So to say that she's an expert at what's happening in the FBI, don't take my word for it. Um, I just want to jump in and start. So first of all, welcome. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. It's fun to be in studio. I know. It is very is really fun to have someone in studio, much better than on the phone. So you wrote something last week, which uh, was fun to read. Uh, you were writing about how the um, it appears now that one of the early uh, people charged in um, the whole uh, investigation relating to Russia was Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, and he actually pled guilty. I think it was in December. He pled guilty, anyway, to lying to the FBI. I think that was it. And now there's talk, and your article is talking about the possibility of him being able to withdraw a guilty plea, which seems like it should be kind of rare. But what what are you talking about? Well, so much information has come out since General Flynn was coerced into pleading guilty. You know, they actually threatened to indict his son, and there's nothing like that to prompt a father to enter a guilty plea, whether he feels like— Indict his son for what? uh, I think partly the— they may have engaged. I, I don't. I really don't know the details okay. enough to okay. to suggest that. But uh, I know there were. I think they were in business together at some point, and I'm sure you know if they could gin up something. Yeah. Yeah. Because any good prosecutor could. Yeah. Right? Mueller's squad is especially capable of doing things like that. Andrew Weissman, the lead pit bull, as he's been called, from Mueller is. The prominent villain in my book, Licensed to Lie, Exposing Corruption in the Department of Justice because he made up crimes and destroyed Arthur Anderson and 85,000 jobs, only to be reversed by the Supreme Court nine to nothing three years later. Isn't that – let me just put a comma there. Isn't that amazing to have engaged in that conduct, to have the whole Supreme Court, and I know rule against you – and Mueller thought he was a good choice to hire on. Oh, Mueller's been protecting Weissman since early on in his career. Mueller had a hand in putting Weissman on the Enron task force to begin with, where he committed these atrocities, also sending four Merrill Lynch executives to prison for a year on an indictment that didn't state a federal offense, while they yellow highlighted and hid the evidence for six years that showed they were innocent. Okay, this guy's a bad guy. Yes. So, but what is, I mean, because I, there's also another character from your book who's now, I mean, which is a true I mean it's a real book it's, it reads like fiction but it's a true story the judge now that who Michael Flynn's in yes. front of is that's part of the reason yes. that you think he might be able to withdraw Judge Emmett Sullivan I call him the judicial hero of license to lie he's the judge who actually threw out the corrupted prosecution of United States Senator Ted Stevens and then Judge Sullivan appointed an investigator to investigate the Department of Justice that person, Hank Schulke, issued a 500-page scathing report finding systematic and intentional and pervasive misconduct within the department Inside itself. the FBI? No, inside the Department, department of, Justice. of Justice. okay. And to some extent, including the FBI. It was a young FBI agent that actually blew the whistle on the corrupt investigation of Senator Stevens. Oh, I remember that, too. Yeah. Okay, so now with Flynn, he's, his case, he was in front of a judge who stepped back with, for curious yeah, reasons. Judge Contreras recused suddenly and we think it was not of his own doing all of a sudden he just wasn't on the case turns out he was on the FISA court during the time all the FISA applications were being done in this and I'm betting he signed one of the FISA warrants and that's why suddenly he's not on the case anymore and Judge Sullivan gets it so I call Judge Sullivan a government misconduct expert and he has the wherewithal to find that egregious government misconduct led to the setup of General Flynn and the coercion that led to his guilty plea and throw out the whole thing and let Flynn withdraw his plea and dismiss the charges for egregious government misconduct. 
Wow. That, that's very rare. I mean, to let someone withdraw a guilty plea, right? Well, actually, Weissman saw a couple of guilty pleas disappear in the Enron litigation, too, that are in the book, Richard Calger and uh, David Duncan. And in fact, Duncan was the Anderson partner who had to testify against Anderson during the Anderson trial at length because they threatened him with so many charges. Well, they forced him to plead guilty to something that wasn't even a crime. Okay, so Michael Flynn, if I remember correctly, what he uh, lied to the FBI about or was charged with, with lying was something about connections with Russian um, some Russian officials, right? That he, he told the FBI something about that. So what I want to get to, because I just love, I did not realize until I read your article, was that this judge that is such a stellar judge, Emmett Sullivan, who now has the case, he actually issued a Brady order, which I, even I remember from law school, I didn't even do c- criminal law. I remember that, though, requiring Mueller to provide Flynn all information favorable to the defense, whether with respect to um, guilt or punishment. Yes, so, I mean, elaborate on how rare that is or, and what it well, means. Well, Judge I mean. Sullivan does it all the time since the Stevens prosecution because uh, one of the reasons that nothing could actually be done or Judge Sullivan couldn't actually do anything against the prosecutors himself in the Stevens case other than hold them in contempt early on was because Schulke found that there wasn't a specific order. So now Judge Sullivan routinely in all his cases, and he encourages judges around the country to do the same thing, enters a very specific Brady order demanding that the government produce it. But what's interesting is that he went ahead and did it in this case, and it may have been automatic, but it applies even with respect to sentencing. So it's just terrific that he entered that, and he knows the cover-up when he sees one. The article, by the way, is in the Daily Caller. I would encourage everyone to read it. Again, it's at our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. I put up a link to this. I'll put it on our Facebook page, too. But part of the reason I would imagine Sullivan is doing this is because there has been some hint now that people within the FBI, after the investigation, concluded that Mueller was telling the truth. Well, Comey's actually testified to Congress now that Peter Strzok the questionable agent in and of himself with his history of problems and text messages and despising Emails, yeah. President Trump felt felt like Flynn was not was being honest when they had the conversation. So inside, the people doing the investigation assumed they thought he was innocent, but they ended up charging him. And I, I always thought with Flynn, I mean, I actually, I don't know him personally. I've interviewed him a couple of times. I really always liked him, and I just thought, you know, maybe in those kind of things when you're being pressed, I don't know what exactly you remember saying, what the sequence was. I just I, I had the feeling he was like a warning shot to the Trump people. Oh, he was totally set up, and the purpose for it was to try to find something, depend on him, to then pressure him to give them whatever they wanted against President Trump. Okay, so— We'll have to stay tuned to this, see if we're going to end up having um, Lieutenant General Michael Flynn withdraw his guilty plea for what seems like a really, as, as a, our um, wonderful guest, Sidney Powell, is explaining, um, because there was not he, that he was duped or coerced, arm twisted. All of the above. All of the above. Okay. <laughs> Next thing was the big news out of the a whole Mueller investigation in Washington was that they indicted 13 Russians this past week. And I have a clip. I don't know if we can get to that clip. But it's a uh, clip one. What I've identified for you are the allegations in the indictment. There's no allegation in the indictment of any effect on the outcome of the election. Again, there's no allegation in this indictment that any American had any knowledge. And the nature of the scheme was that the defendants took extraordinary steps 
to make it appear that they were ordinary American political activists, even going so far as to base their activities on a virtual private network here in the United States. So if anybody traced it back to that first jump, they appear to be American. That voice was Rod Rosenstein, deputy... Is he Deputy Attorney General? Yes, Deputy Attorney General, number two in charge of the Justice Department. Okay, so he's saying in plain English, he's saying that this entire big 13-person indictment of Russians did not intend to implicate in any way anyone in the Trump administration. Exactly. Which, (laughs) I mean, so now we have Mueller indicting. I guess it does go to the question of whether or not the Russians were trying to mess with America's elections. And, and they, they clearly were. I mean, they try to mess with us all the time. They were creating a massive disinformation campaign. The indictment's 37 pages. It's actually an interesting read. And there are some real crimes in there, such as identity theft, bank fraud, wire fraud, and uh, a couple of other things that could lead to additional charges. But, but what I, th- it, I think all the people are actually in Russia, so the chances of actually making anything happen from it is a whole nother story. That was my next point. It was like a show indictment because all these people live in Russia, and I'm pretty sure they're not going to volunteer to come here to be prosecuted. So we are, you know, we're, we're looking at something, and we're going to zip off to our break here. When we come back, we're going to talk a little more about what Mueller has done here because I really think this is starting to fall apart, the whole Russia-Trump collusion thing, and it matters very much we hold accountable the people who set this mess into motion. I'm here with Sidney Powell, Debbie Georgiatis. Don't go away. America faces unprecedented threats to our national security. The Center for Security Policy, based in Washington, D.C., is a national leader focused on the organization, management, and direction of public policy coalitions to promote U.S. national security. The Center is a special forces in the war of ideas dedicated to identifying opportunities and challenges likely to affect American security and acting promptly to ensure that they are the subject of focused national examination and effective action. The Center enlists support from executive branch officials, key legislators, and other public policy organizations, and brings these teams together to develop and shape policies that will keep America safe. Check out CenterForSecurityPolicy.org for the latest news and developments brought to you by America's leading security experts. Becoming and remaining informed is one of the best ways every citizen can be a part of the mission to keep America safe. That's CenterForSecurityPolicy.org. Texans have a long tradition of independence, and we don't like being told what to do, especially by liberal bureaucrats 1,000 miles away. That's why for 30 years, the Dallas-based Institute for Policy Innovation has fought Washington's efforts to take more of your money and freedom. IPI works every day to keep taxes low and freedom high, to promote free market health care, expand energy security, protect intellectual property, and combat onerous regulations that destroy American jobs. Politicians often talk smaller government, but then vote for more of it. By contrast, IPI has never veered from its mission to defend the Constitution and fight for freedom. If you want to be informed about free market policies and solutions, go to IPI's website and sign up. All of their information is free for sharing. Help IPI restore liberty and economic growth. Go to IPI.org today. That's IPI.org. One more time, go to IPI.org today. Could you lose your career because of your faith? 
Could your pastor be sued because of his sermons? Can students and teachers be punished because of what they believe about God? Can the government or even your employer force you to violate your beliefs? Get the answers and, if necessary, legal protection from First Liberty Institute. First Liberty is the nation's largest legal organization dedicated exclusively to restoring religious freedom in America. In fact, First Liberty's nationwide network of top attorneys win over 90% of their cases. They've won at the Supreme Court all the way down to local schools. Visit FirstLiberty.org to learn more about how First Liberty is protecting religious freedom for all Americans in the workplace, public schools, your church, the military, and more. That's FirstLiberty.org. If you want hope for religious freedom and a free listing of your rights, go to FirstLiberty.org now. Attention Ronald Reagan fans. What is the one item most sought after by Americans who love the Gipper? It's Young America's Foundation's Reagan Ranch Calendar. Young America's Foundation is the leading youth outreach organization dedicated to ensuring that increasing numbers of young Americans understand and are inspired by the ideas of individual freedom, a strong national defense, free enterprise, and traditional values. New audiences of young people across the country are introduced to conservative ideas through Young America's Foundation's programs, including the Reagan Ranch Program. The Reagan Ranch calendar contains spectacular images of the Gipper enjoying his beautiful 688-acre ranch, the Western White House. For a limited time, the calendar is free. Even shipping is free. To receive your beautiful Reagan Ranch calendar from Young America's Foundation, call 800-USA-1776 and mention the phrase Reagan Gift. Again, the number is 1-800-USA-1776 and Reagan Gift is the code. Learn more about Young America's Foundation at www.yaf.org. That's yaf.org. enjoy that music. I love, love, love our bumper music. Can you hear us now? It's just really <laughs> fabulous music. But we're in studio. If you're just joining us, I'm so glad we have in studio Sydney Powell. Uh, her book is right there. If you're watching on Facebook Live, is Licensed to Lie. She is a prominent uh, federal prosecutor, has done, uh, was the youngest federal prosecutor ever appointed. Uh, she's worked in the Justice Department. Her Licensed to Lie book exposed reads like an amazing uh, work of fiction, and it's a true story about what was happening inside the FBI during the Enron case. But we're talking about Robert Mueller's ongoing special prosecution, or special prosecutor role. And, I mean, just to recap what we were saying, there was so much um, what was wrong or out of line with how the FBI conducted itself that ended up getting a, um, a, a, the ability to charge Lieutenant General Michael Flynn with lying to the FBI, which, as I've said before, is a crime, even if you're not under penalty of perjury, you can't lie to them. So, But it appears from his case having been moved to a new and more honest judge, he may be able to withdraw that guilty plea. That would be so great. That'd be so great. Okay, next thing we were hitting on was, um, and then now we have this indictment, and a lot of people, oh my gosh, this is great, they finally got Trump. They don't not only have not <laughs> Trump, they don't have anybody. These are Russians who, I guess, were... I mean, what kinds of things were the Russians doing here? Well, the indictment tells a great story that I would commend to everyone's reading to understand what some kinds of things the Russians were doing to influence this election. I mean, they were using uh, other people's identities, creating Twitter accounts, uh, ginning up uh, what appeared to be grassroots protests against Trump, all kinds of different things that they were just using to foment trouble and discord which is one of the, their favorite tactics. 
they they, they committed identity theft. They committed bank fraud. They committed wire fraud. Uh, I am also sure they committed fraud in their visa applications. They got visas got from the Obama administration <laughs> yeah. uh, to come in the country to do a lot of this to begin with. And But I don't see a charge for visa fraud in there, which I thought was interesting. Yeah. You know, this whole, I mean, and, and again, as we we're saying for the break, all these Russians who've been indicted uh, are living in Russia and they're not going to come back here to stand to face charges. So. Maybe the indictment was just to give the American people some reassurance that we, the Mueller uh, team, are doing something. Because what it really seems to be distilling down is the major allegation that got the whole thing started was that President Trump and or, and or his team were somehow colluding with the Russians to interfere with the 2016 presidential elections. And, and yet again, evidence, there's absolutely no evidence of that, which Rod Rosenstein conceded essentially in his press conference the other day from DOJ when the indictment was announced. They have nothing. So that kind of leads to, which is really kind of an interesting thing because the other aspect of all this we've also talked about many times is what appears to be actual wrongdoing inside the FBI with respect to to achieving the issuance of a warrant from a FISA court judge by filling out an affidavit largely relying on a, a, a you know. Totally concocted piece of crap. A, there's a good term. Okay. <laughs> A hoax. It was a smear job (laughs) thing done by Fusion GPS and Christopher Steele for the Hillary Clinton campaign, and that appears to be the basis to get a FISA court warrant. We had John Guandolo in here. If you actually, if you weren't listening two or three weeks ago, John Guandolo was in here and went through the way you're really supposed to do a FISA court application. Oh, it's a massive process. Everything is supposed to be. First verified by the FBI, independently verified by the Department of Justice. And here you actually had the upper echelon of the FBI and the Department of Justice collaborating with Fusion GPS and this Christopher Steele character to create a bunch of falsehoods to get a warrant. It is unfreaking believable. Okay, I love your, your – I'm so glad you're here because <laughs> I feel like I'm almost – I, I lose my ability to come up with impactful enough words to portray this is this is a political corruption of what should be. It's the, criminal conduct. It's yeah. It's criminal. It's I mean, my word was conspiracy. Whatever it is. Yeah, it's a criminal conspiracy. Forget all this talk of collusion, which I always found out an outrage anyway because collusion is isn't a crime. <laughs> right. right. The crime is a criminal conspiracy, and there was a criminal conspiracy here within the FBI, the upper echelon of the Department of Justice and Fusion GPS, and probably also this group called CrowdStrike to put together this whole false narrative and get a FISA warrant, which is fraud on a court. It's false statements to the court. It's, uh, okay. it's perjury. It's obstruction of justice. Yes. And, you know, I even had John Guandola, that I think, I don't know if you know him, but John Guandola is an FBI agent, a uh, former FBI agent. You know, he was saying, if you're conspiring to try to remove the duly elected president of the United States, that's, um, I guess he was saying treason. I don't know if it's treason, but it's getting close. I mean, you're you're colluding against the American people. You're it's, what we th- it's what lots of people think of as treason. It's certainly what the president thinks of as treason when he uses that word in tweets. But the treason statute is much more specific, and I believe it requires use of force. Okay, sedition. Maybe that's a charge. Same thing. I think oh, it, it also requires, force. requires uh, involvement okay. of force. And, of course, we don't have any of that here. But I assure you there are plenty of other federal offenses 
that apply. And, and you know, if we don't, um, as I say, on, our, on the conservative side, we tend to roll over too easily. If we don't hold these people accountable, it's not just that they got away with essentially, uh, you know, just flooding President Trump's first year in office with headlines uh, based on a farce they made up. So they're they're impacting his ability. They're, they're stalling him. And they're, the millions of taxpayer dollars that have been wasted for this, the upheaval, the diversion of of resources and energy and effort, it is a, it, it just blows it's my a crime. mind. It is yes. a crime in more ways than one, and there are people sitting in our prisons right now for far less than that. Okay, that uh, yeah, I'm very glad to have you and your expertise saying that. Okay, I do want to turn, though, to this other question. So, and I think you and I talked about it once on another show when I uh, was uh, so lucky to be able to interview you, but you talked about how the original issuance or the choice to have a special counsel appointed, Robert Mueller, to investigate collusion with Russia, it failed from the outset to meet the standards of federal, the federally required standard, which is there was no crime alleged against President Trump. Isn't that right? Yes. If the Department of Justice can't identify a specific crime to begin with, they're not supposed to appoint a special prosecutor. And here Rosenstein just gave him this carte blanche blank check to go look for whatever he wanted to look for. So he starts by going back 15 years on Paul Manafort and Rick Gates. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think Except there's business a businessman alive who could survive a 15-year scrutiny by 17 federal prosecutors, a grand jury, and I don't even know how many agents into all of their business transactions to see if they could find a federal violation to pin on them. Uh, exactly. And, you know, even the things that were are smaller, like, you know, Two years ago, you were in a meeting, and you know who suggested this first, and what was said. Who you? I can't remember yesterday in a sequence of conversation. Did I say that? And so the notion that you could trip someone up, which is the process charges we worry about, the the obstruction or conspiracy or uh, perjury, or the false statements to the FBI when they're interviewing you. Yeah, um, the, these get very dangerous. So, but I want to get. So we have now the recognition by more and more people that there really wasn't a legitimate basis for the appointment of Robert Mueller. In fact, at the time, people were saying this is very open ended. The way it's worded, kind of, and anything else you happen to stumble along. So, but people here, Paul Manafort was indicted. But again, is anything that Paul Manafort was indicted for in any way implicate? The Trump people, including with the Russians in the 2016 election. No, I think it all predated his involvement with the campaign even. Oh, and that reminds me of something else. I was By say. years. By years. Another point that I think uh, President Trump made in a tweet was that this conduct that was alleged in this Russian 13-person uh, indictment began in 2014. And as President Trump said, I wasn't even in the race at that time. Right. And my book came out before 2014. So it has not, I mean, in 2014. So it has nothing to do with President Trump either. It just happened to be extraordinarily prescient. Okay. Are you going to write another book about this? Uh, I've got a lot to write when I have time. So far, I'm still so busy talking about this and all the articles I've written for the New York Observer and the Daily Caller. I mean, two years ago, I called for the appointment of a special prosecutor to investigate the countless crimes of Hillary Clinton. And then as soon as Comey and Lynch whitewashed it, I knew exactly what was going on there. So I have another one that went viral on that. And they're my twin pinned tweet, which is, by the way, at Sydney Powell, the number one. I was going to, yeah, Sydney, her uh, Twitter feed at uh, at Sydney, which is S-I-D-N-E-Y, Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L, the digit one, and really full of links to everything she's written. And I do want people to go to read your daily caller things. But one last thing I want to get to, because we're always going to run out of time too quickly. So, 
the notion now being talked about is, well, maybe Robert Mueller can get President Trump on obstruction of justice because either because uh, President Trump suggested that maybe they should let things go with Michael Flynn um, or it was uh, was he his termination of, of Comey as FBI director. Could that be obstruction? I mean, I, I'll tell you, folks, if you go to America, can we talk? There is a great article up. It's Andrew McCarthy article. Uh, is there an obstruction case against President Trump? Very compelling. But what's your yep. take? I agree with Andy. There's no obstruction case here. He's entitled. He's the president. He has control over the executive branch. He was entitled to fire Jim Comey. Hillary would have fired Jim Comey. Everybody on both sides was calling for the firing of James Comey. And it doesn't matter why he set out to do that. Right. He could fire him because he doesn't like the color tie he wears. I mean, he could, anything. Exactly. And nothing happens, certainly, to impede any sort of investigation. Obviously, we've spent tens of millions of dollars on this bunch of hooey. Yeah. In fact, although he did uh, uh, relieve um, Director Comey of his duties, he didn't in any way say and shut down the Russian investigation. No. I mean, he's gone on and on and on. On and on and on. Okay, so the other obstruction angle, uh, and this is, I'm going to get all this out there, folks, because I do urge you when people say, well, there's got to be something there, or you hear people thinking somehow Mueller's come up with something, it couldn't be obstruction. And I will say this was actually floated in the news. There, that there was a uh, contemplation within the White House by President Trump to whether he ought to fire Mueller as the as a special prosecutor. Just talked about it. I mean, so could that be obstruction that you thought about firing? A sp- I mean, no, seriously, no. I mean, that that would be just an incredible stretch. I have thought about firing Mueller countless <laughs> times. I have advocated for the firing of Mueller. That whole task force should have never been put together in the first place. So what is the way in our uh, less than a minute we have left? What's the right answer that should moving forward should happen to to put this all behind us? Is there a well in the absence of absolutely any evidence of the Trump campaign con- conspiring with Russians to do anything, uh, I think the Mueller investigation should be given at, at a minimum a very short time limit to wind itself down and stop the waste of taxpayer resources. I think it's to the point where Attorney General Sessions could undo his recusal. Obviously, shaking hands with the Russian ambassador was not a problem, and there was no crime there, and we could you know, have a Department of Justice that functions again like the Department of Justice should function. And there are a lot of heads that need to be rolling and some prosecutions that need to be happening for the people who actually did commit crimes here and made up things to try to impede and obstruct the president of the United States. Sydney Pye, cannot thank you enough for being here. Thank you so much. My pleasure, Debbie. Thank you. Come back for Cruise Through the News. Talk to you at the top of the hour. Oh, my-